friends to lovers, to kisses and cuddles, we are doing it God's way. This, this is Stronger Together, Closer to God. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Strongly Get a Closer to God podcast. This is Minister Vernon. I'm here with the wonderful, the lovely, the talented, the awesome, <laughs> phenomenal evangelist, Anya Meyer. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you all are listening to this. How's everyone doing today? Great to have you on board with us today. So this is Think About It Thursday. Yes. As you know, Mondays is our Motivational Mondays. And then we got some things going on with Think About It Thursdays. Mm -hmm. And the purpose of these Think About It Thursdays is that we're applying what God's word is saying in our lives in every way. And we're talking about our temple, the body that God has blessed us with. We are to be the managers and the the caretakers of our bodies. And that means not just physically, that's emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. And so this think about it idea came and downloaded into us. And you're going to hear us sometimes say loves and loveies, loves. (laughs) Tell us a little bit more about this think about it Thursday for this month. Um, Well, think about it Thursday for this month came actually because of my own health. I had a little health crisis scare last month. And last month, which was February, was cardiovascular, rock the red for cardiovascular, for heart disease and things like that. So God uh, God downloaded in my spirit. He's like, hey, you know, we as women really need to take better care of ourselves. We're always nurturing and taking care of our husbands, our children, being caregivers to our parents, aunts, uncles, grandparents. We need to do a better job of taking care of our temple, ourselves. And because it is Women's History Month, I thought, I was like, wow, God, what a perfect month for this. Not only is it Women's History Month, but it is Kidney Awareness Month. Yes. Um, kidney awareness is near and dear to our hearts. We rock our kidney awareness paraphernalia and we wear green for my mom, not only my mom, but many others that are dealing with kidney disease. Yes, absolutely. And so we have special guests yes. with us today who's going to really just break this down for us, not just because she's in this field and educating many others about the importance of taking care of maintaining your temple and especially in the areas of your kidneys but she actually has walked through this herself mm-hmm. so loves you want to do the introduction yeah i'm just so excited and delighted and i'm just my heart is full because we met this beautiful young lady it's been some years ago actually my husband knew her prior to me meeting her and then we met her at a conference a nonprofit conference and it just blessed me at that time because we were walking My mom hadn't been diagnosed, but she was really, you know, in the thick of things. And it was just, it was God's divine timing in his order for us to meet up. So I'm just going to read a little bit about her. I I just wanted to share, you know, how we got to know one another, you know, and I feel like she's definitely a sister Mm -hmm. in the Lord, a sister in Christ of both of us. But this beautiful spirit is passionate, unique, loyal, resilient. Uh, These words are commonly used to describe Sharon S. Rouse. Sharon is an experienced leader with a demonstrated history of working in the education and nonprofit industries. She is skilled in program coordination, leadership, community outreach, and curriculum development. Sharon is a strong educational professional with an administrator certification force in education, leadership, and administration. 
A native of the Washington DC metropolitan area, she has dedicated her life to influencing the world as a kidney disease, dialysis, and now, oh, praise God. I'm sorry, I'm getting full. Now a transplant. Transplant survivor. survivor. Yes. To God be the glory. Yes. I had to stop there. Beautiful, just beautiful. Sharon actively shares her story to bring hope and healing to anyone facing difficult circumstances in life to expand the scope of her reach. Sharon founded Kindness for Kidney International Incorporated, a nonprofit organization dedicated to educating, encouraging, and empowering kidney warriors and their families. Sharon lives in Maryland with her husband, Sean, and her daughter, Kayla. I hope that I pronounced that correctly. Kyla. 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 I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I shed, I shed some tears. <laughs> Without further ado, take it away. Wow. 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 It's too early for that, Anya. It's too early for that. I, it is an honor and a privilege. I definitely feel the presence of God here in this interview. And so when, when you started with the tears, I was like, no, I haven't even started yet. No, no, no. But, I'm a water bucket. <laughs> it's, uh, it's okay. I understand. God bless you both for what you're doing for the community, how you're strengthening marriages, and just the blessing that you all are. Your story really inspires me. And so I I appreciate the opportunity for being able to come on and share my story and just share how Kindness for Kidneys was, was founded. I always say this was God's vision, and I'm just here to walk it out. And so thank you so much for having me. Pleasures all ours. Yes, yes. To uh, God be the glory. Yes. And I, I want to put this caveat in because sometimes I know my men will sometimes hear what mm-hmm. we're talking about and kind of be like, oh, well, this is focused on women. No, I want you to understand this is focused on everybody. Yeah. I have the pleasure of being in the presence of a man who, who went home to be with the Lord. But during a season in the time, he battled some of these situations with his kidneys and he took us through a journey of the typical day that he walked through. So, and besides men, I want to emphasize to you, you may have a daughter, you may have a sister, you may have an aunt, a grandmother, a woman in your life that might be going through this. So let's get better educated, better aware so that we can be the best support system for them as well. And even for ourselves, you you know, with our health as well. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you like us and the podcast family to know about you? I know we, we shared your bio, but um, just give us a little history about yourself. Absolutely. Um, So I I am from the Washington metropolitan area, born and raised in Maryland. And, you know, the the biggest thing, honestly, (laughs) when I think about bios and all of that, the only thing really that matters to me is that I'm a believer and that I'm a child of God. Like when, when people see me, that's what I want them to know. Like that, to me, that's the only thing that matters. Yes, I have bio and things that I've done. And I will talk about that, you know, for the sake of the podcast. But I'm really on this journey of you know, when we think about our, our identity, a lot of times we put it into the things that are around us, the people that are around us, what we do. But really, I just feel like the most important thing in my life is that I'm a child of God. And when I identify with something bigger than myself, all this other stuff is just 
you know, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, and, and I think it, it's, it's, it goes with saying that when we identify in those things, sometimes, and what I've, I've been learning in this season, especially during COVID, because God had asked me to, to step down and I'm, this is kind of a sidebar, but I just want to share it because I feel led to share it. God had asked me to kind of disassociate with things that I had previously disassociated with. He didn't say forever, but in this season, because of some of the things that he's doing in my life, he asked me to disassociate with those things. And I know it was because I needed to examine whether those things were idols. You know, he wanted to see where my heart was too. And so I've, I've been going through this process um, during the pandemic because I saw a lot of people who are identifying themselves with the things that are around them and with the things that they do. And what happens is when you do that and those things are no longer there, you're, you're kind of left out there and you don't know who you are. And so I see why he was taking me through that journey because even as I grow, as kindness for kidneys grows, those things are great. But at the end of the day, if I don't have my identity in him, I can get lost in that. I can get lost in the applause and, you know, I'm this and I'm that. And, and it's really not about me. And so when you, when you ask, like, who are you? <laughs> That's the thing that, that, that resonates the most. I'm a child of God. And everything else that comes from that is a result of my relationship with him. And so I was born and raised here in the Washington metropolitan area. I've spent the last 20 years in education, starting out as a classroom teacher and then school counselor, instructional specialist, Title I coordinator. And, and I had the pleasure of meeting Vernon uh, and in education. He was, we worked together in Title one. And then in this past June, um, God, it called me off the job. And it's, it's been a true journey just walking through this experience with him. It was definitely a faith walk, still on the faith walk, but I understand now why I needed to be off my job so that he could do what he needed to do in, in me as I move forward. In 2006, I was diagnosed with kidney disease. I was a young mom, I had just had my daughter five months before. I woke up one day to go to school. At that time, I was a school counselor. I woke up to go to school, to go to work, and I had swollen legs. I'd never really experienced swelling like that. I mean, up until that point, I was relatively healthy. I did have a diagnosis of lupus in 2003. Never really felt like I had lupus. Like, I know it's not about how you feel necessarily, but I just, they diagnosed it, but lupus can be very complicated to diagnose. And so when, when I got the diagnosis at the time, my symptoms were swelling in my hands and fatigue. And in hindsight, I kind of feel like it was the kidney stuff all along, but, you know, they said, well, your ANA numbers were saying something different. So, you know, I didn't have, I haven't had any symptoms related to lupus since that time. So fast forward to 2006, after I woke up with swollen legs, the thought was when I got to the emergency room, well, if you had a lupus diagnosis in 2003, this is probably lupus related. And so you had, you just had a child five months ago, sometimes your body will turn on itself and it'll start to attack different organs. And so they said, that's probably what's happening. Well, they did the biopsy and that wasn't what was happening. They diagnosed me with focal segmental glomerul sclerosis. And it's where segments of your kidney cells um, and the filtering system in your kidneys, the nephrons become scarred. So I never heard of it. I never had, we didn't 
have I didn't have any background knowledge as far as someone in my family having kidney disease or anything like that or anyone being on dialysis. So this was completely new to myself, my husband, our entire family. And so at that time, I decided to resign and and focus on 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 my health. I didn't know what I was walking into, you know. And so that's how my journey began with kidney disease. I it completely caught me off guard. I uh, you know, it's almost like I got hit with a truck, a back truck, you know, because I, you know, you wake up, you 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 have your plan for your day, you go you're going to work, you you're doing what you feel you're called to do in that season and I've really really enjoyed being a school counselor. That was probably my all-time favorite job. And so then to be hit with this in the middle of being a mom and it it was a lot. And I'm like, God, what in the world? You know? And so I ended up in the hospital for eight days and God kind of prepared me for the journey ahead. He he shared with me some things that were to come. And and basically he said this is not going to be a short journey. And so he prepared me for the things that were to come. So when you ask me who who I am, bottom line is I am a believer and I'm a child of God. Love that. Love that. Wow. You poured so much in to us just in that little segment. <laughs> We're going to have to have you come back on here about <laughs> that faith walk and entrepreneurship because, and I, I loved what you said about, because being a believer first and foremost, but then also how we can get so caught up. I, I was watching something the other day about, and they were talking about, I think it was more about men in their titles, not so much as women, because I think us as women, we already wear so many titles, mother, doctor, lawyer, nurse, whatever the case may be. I don't think we get as caught up in it as men do to a degree, but we can, we can. And that just blessed me so because I'm in a season two where, like you said, God had began to disassociate, have you disassociate yourself with certain things. Not to say that it's forever, and he uses any and everybody. So he just used you this morning to speak directly to me. I'm pretty sure others are listening. They spoke, he spoke to them too. But yes, that was, that was beautiful. Wow. It, it, oh, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say it really is. So when we think about our lives in Christ, it, there's death that has to come with that. And, and that's where I am, you know, I I am dying to me (laughs) so that he can live through me. The more puffed up I am, the less space he has to dwell and do what he needs to do. And so it, it is a, it's a difficult process. Like this process has been very difficult because, you know, when you have to to let people go or things like that, it hurts. It's like, God, I love these people. Like, why, why can't they be in my life right now? And But he knows the end from the beginning. So he knows where he's taking me. And so it, it's very important to him. And it's not to say that I may not reconnect with someone, some of those people or things like that in the future. But for right now, for this space, he's preparing. And I feel like he's preparing us for the days ahead. You know, he talks about gross darkness coming on this earth. And if we aren't confident in who we are in him, we won't be able to stand. And that's what he's been showing me. Like if, if your identity is in this house car, you know, just all of the, the things around you, you're going to faint in the day of adversity. And so your, your identity can only be found in me. And that's the only way you'll be able to be a light when, as darkness continues to, to spread, you know? And so it, it is a dying to self, but that's what he's called us to do. He, he, he says that, you know, one that loses his life 
gains it, you know, and that's what our, our walk is about. It's about dying to us so that he can then have room to do what he needs to do in and through us. And so, and so that's, that's where this journey has led me. And it's, it made me understand why, yes, I had to come off my job because he really needed to do an inner work and he needed my attention. You know, <laughs> I was so caught up in, in life and, and, and we worked really hard. And I know Vernon can contest in education. I mean, Oh my goodness. It's, it's a lot and you work very hard. And so I see how that could have been a distraction from the work that he really needed to do before sending me out to do the next thing. Yeah. Amen. Wow. Just, woo. You, you're on fire this morning. I tell you, <laughs> we have you on here for one thing, but you, you, you preaching sister, you're preaching. Yeah. Definitely. You, did you want to say, yeah, I was just going to say it, it, it's that pruning process. Yeah. And sometimes we think pruning is a bad thing, but if we remind ourselves, if we ever see people, gardeners and landscapers, when they go around, they trim their pruning for a purpose to keep the growth growing mm-hmm. within that plant mm-hmm. and it's the same way with us god wants us in those moments of times he's going to prune us and sometimes yeah. as i learned from bruce wilkerson his book dream giver he talked about that there are moments in times where god will ask us if this is the calling i'm asking you to do i need you to surrender something in return mm-hmm. And that can be the hardest part. Like you were saying, Sharon, dying to self. You know, yeah. I, I had that same similar experience when I had to step away from the education field as my dad needed the care he needs. Yeah. He was like, which one are you going to choose? Yeah. You know, you're going to choose me or you're going to choose the other option. And that was the, it could be the hardest it's hard. morning, it's hard. It, but it's a, so grateful of a decision yeah. when you follow God, because you feel the peace, you feel the serenity, and you know that what you have done has been aligned with his purpose, his mission, and his vision. He said, it doesn't mean it, it's probably removed from you. Mm-hmm. It's just a season right now. I love what you said. This is a, a season like winter. Winter is typically the time when things are removed from the trees the leaves are removed you know and everything else it doesn't mean it's the end it just means there's a preparation for a new beginning absolutely which is our spring and our summer absolutely yeah yeah no it it touched it definitely touched home for for us I think as as a couple and as we go forward in our journey with mm-hmm. what God is calling us to do. And because it, it can get difficult, it can get challenging, especially, I, I know you said something the other day to me about checking my heart. And I, I kind of got a little offended by it. And God was like, no, 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 don't get offended. Listen to what he's telling you. And it was God speaking through him to have me check myself, you know, about going back into the medical field and what's the real reason for me going back. And so, then, um, and then like you said, Sharon, is that in ended up being an idol mm-hmm. instead of God's purpose? Because mm-hmm. sometimes certain things that we will pursue, yep. um, we think and we're doing God's work, but we end up being following an idol mm-hmm. that God's not approved yeah. of. Yeah. yeah. So thank you for that. <laughs> it just, that, that just, it, it touched me. Like I said, God uses whomever he wants to, especially when you're seeking him for an answer. You talked about, you know, your diagnosis and, and what led you up. And you said you were a young mom. How old were you? I, I think you said your baby was five months. Yes. Yeah. Yes. She was yeah. five months. I was 31 years old. 
at the time of the diagnosis. And so, yeah, yeah, it was, it was just like, okay, you know, and, and at one point when they had diagnosed me with lupus, they were like, well, you know, with the lupus, you may not have kids. They had given all these negative reports. And so, you know, I'm like, I, I felt like Abraham, like, no, was it, wait a minute, Isaac. Which one sacrificed God asked him to sacrifice? Was it Isaac? Isaac. Isaac. Yeah. So I felt like God, you know, here I am. I have this baby and now I'm sick. What? No, 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 no. Uh, and so, yeah, I was 31 years old. She was five months. And that was part of the reason why, you know, I, I, I'm, I was happy that he told me to come off of my job because trying to to now deal with this new diagnosis and not knowing what was what would come of the diagnosis, like what would manifest itself in my body, if there would be more swelling or, you know, just whatever. He, he said, you need to let this go and focus on your family and your health. Yeah, well, bless God, you were obedient and you listened to his instructions, definitely. Mm-hmm. You talked about your, you were in the hospital for eight days. What was your experience like in the hospital. And if you don't mind sharing, what were some of the things that were going on at that time? So when I was in the hospital, so I started out here in the area and then my doctor had me transferred to Hopkins, just wanted me to get better care than what I was getting. And so it was very interesting. I'd never had I'd never been in the hospital for something like that. Like I I didn't, you know, and so I learned very on that I had to be my own advocate. I had to understand. So you think you're in the hospital. Because this was my first time, I'm just listening to what they're telling me. You know, if they came in with medication, I took it. If they came in with a needle, I took it. And so, but one thing, God always would have angels in, in, in the hospital, like that he would just send in, even if it's in the middle of the night and maybe it's a nurse that's assigned to my shift and she would come in and, and one particular night, a nurse came in and she said, why are you taking heparin? And I, and I, I, one, I wasn't clear on what I was being given, which is not a good thing. And two, she said, did you know that they typically give heparin to people that are bedridden, that aren't able to walk to help with their circulation? And I said, no, I didn't know that, you know? And so all of these, prior to that, when they, they would come in at night and, you know, the nurse would give me a needle, a shot in my, in my stomach, and it was a shot of heparin. And she said, the next time someone comes in here, don't take it. And so that kind of, I was like, really? Like, I can do that. I can say no, you know, and I'm not saying that I said no about everything, but she was just saying to me, I just felt like that was an angel coming in to say, you don't need to take this. And it opened my eyes to the fact that Sharon, one, you're not in here just to receive care from them. You, you need to be an active participant, an active participant in your health. And then also like find out what they are giving you and why, like you need to ask questions. So when you think about going to a doctor, you're like, well, they're the expert. I'm just going to come in here and, and, you know, they'll tell me what to do and, and I'll do it. And, and that I learned that that shouldn't be the relationship. It should be, you knowing how you feel because you bring that aspect of it. And then the doctor with the medical expertise that he or she has bringing that and and together we're coming up with the best solution for me you know so when we talk about individualized approaches that's that that's how they that's how we do it a lot of times there's a standard of care for everyone and that may not be the best option for everyone so the important thing to note here is that as a as a patient in a hospital 
it, it, you play just as much of a, a role in your care as the doctor does. And that's when I learned that because when I first got in there, I, whatever they were give, coming in to give, I took it. I didn't ask questions. I didn't research on my own, like, let me look up what this is and, and what the side effects are and, and how this is, treat, this is going to treat me. But God would place angels that would say, do you know what you're taking this for? And so she said, you don't need heparin. Aren't you up walking around throughout the day? And I was like, yeah. And she said, yeah, you don't need heparin. And so the next day when the nurse came in, I said, I'm not going to take, take heparin. So the biggest thing I learned being there was you really do have to advocate for yourself. That was an eye opener for me. Because I was in there like just buying the time, like, okay, figure out what's going on so I can go home, you know. And so we played just as much of a role in our care as as the person that's trained to do it. So together with my lived experience and their expertise, then we can come up with the best solution for me. But it, it starts with me advocating for myself. I can't expect to come into a situation. So it was very interesting, but it was very educational. And that was the beginning of me understanding the importance of advocacy, the importance of being my biggest advocate, because I couldn't expect for them to one, know how I was feeling. And then two, I couldn't expect for them to just come in and do all the work. They have the expertise. I'm living the experience. And then together, we work together to figure out the best options for me. I love that. I love what you said about being an advocate. And yeah, you don't have to take all the medications that they're suggesting that you take. And it's great that, you know, God bless, God is, he's good. He, like you said, he sends angels (laughs) throughout just to kind of share a little bit about my mom's story. And we were her advocates for her because, um, she battled for quite some time trying to get answers. And she was, like you said, she was swelling, fatigue. She was short of breath. I mean, she just had a lot of the symptoms. She was going through to her nephrologist and everything. And he kept saying he was preparing her for dialysis. And I know we're going to get to the dialysis part in a little bit, but hers was, I mean, two o'clock in the morning, she would call us and we'd have to take her to the ER because she just was that sick. And she would tell us, I remember the last time uh, we took her to the ER, she told us, she says, I can't even lay down because I can just feel like fluid going throughout my body. And my mom's body was, was shutting down when we took her to the ER. And I never forget the doctor, the hospitalist, because the ER was, I mean, they would say, oh, she has a bladder infection, which she probably did because, you know, she was going through a lot. My mom is, has kidney disease due to diabetes, high levels of diabetes. So that's why she is where she is today with chronic kidney disease. But the hospitalist, thank God for him, she cried. She begged because the ER was getting ready to send her back home. And she cried to the hospitalist and God bless him. He was a Ethiopian gentleman of Ethiopian descent. And she looked him in the eye. She said, please don't send me back home. She says, I am sick. I am so sick. And I can't even count how many times my mom just went back and forth to the doctors, to the ER. And her nephrologist was just like, oh, it's, we're preparing you for dialysis. It's not time. So I just thank God for the hospitalist to say, no, we're not going to send you home. We're going to keep you overnight and we're going to run some tests and do some things. And 
I think my mom might've been in the hospital for two days. They put a port in her and started her dialysis. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we're just resetting the room right now, just in case any of you have joined our podcast. We are on with Sharon and we're just Mm -hmm. talking about kidney disease and the impact of it because it is National Kidney Disease Awareness Month. Month. Mm -hmm. And just to give you just some quick facts, and we're going to continue with these Q&As because this is phenomenal how God has used Sharon to do in her life to now become an advocate for others, to educate other people Mm -hmm. what to be aware of. And I'm just getting this from the Kidney Foundation's website that one in three Americans are at risk for kidney disease. 37 million people have chronic kidney disease. 660,000 people live with kidney failure. And there are 100,000 people who are waiting for a kidney transplant. Wow. So this is a topic, and from what I'm seeing, and Sharon, you correct me if I'm wrong, a lot of times we don't even find out that the area that's a concern is the kidneys, because this is one of those symptoms, you know, obviously certain things happen with the heart, we can identify the heart, something happens with our breathing, we can identify something's going on with the lungs, but with kidney, it can kind of sometimes be under the radar of being discovered. Yes, yes, and sometimes it's it's often, well, sometimes it is referred to being a silent killer, a silent disease, because a lot of times you can have it, because a lot of times stages one through three, you won't see you won't see any symptoms. You may just feel like you're tired because you're tired, you know? And so you don't necessarily feel like something is wrong with you. And in my case, I may have had it. And and I think back even to college, which would have been 20 years prior uh, to my diagnosis, maybe less than 20 years, but uh, that I was spilling protein in my urine and they would just kind of brush it off like, Oh, you know, it's just a trace. Sometimes that happens with labs. It, it, when I would go for my annual physical, it would just be, oh, it's, it's a trace. It's a trace of protein. And, and I never really went, went on any further to research what that could have meant, you know, but in hindsight, it could have been the kidney disease all along. And it doesn't lie dormant. It, it, it lies dormant and you don't really see any side effects until it's towards stage four and five. And so... That's why it's important to make sure you monitor your blood pressure, your blood sugar, diabetes and high blood pressure are the number one causes of kidney disease and kidney failure. And so it's important to monitor and and really get a a feel for where you are. If you're tired or if you're laying down like in your mom's case and you feel you can't breathe, like you feel fluid, that's a sign that, you know, something isn't because the kidneys are supposed to filter fluid and 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 send it to where it needs to go and, and create the urine for you to release it. And so if it's still staying in there, that there there may be something going on with how your kidneys are filtering the fluid. And so it's so important to be aware to look for those signs. If you're extremely tired, like more than usual, it's usually something else going on, whether it's kidney disease or something else. But if you're more tired, you can barely function things like that, there's, there's something else there. And, and sometimes, like you said, you, you have to pry and, and, and sometimes beg, like, because doctors, they're seeing all these patients coming in. And so they're just trying to triage you and get you to where you need to go. Okay. You can go home. You can do this, take this, do this. So then, you know, it's up to us to advocate that, that just speaks to, to my point. It's so, so vital that you advocate for yourself because 
you know how you feel and you're like, no, 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 I'm not going home. Something isn't right. And, and, and that will force them to do, to do the extra steps of what they need to do to, to look a little deeper. For me, I, I think back because I'd had a doctor's appointment where I had labs done prior to, I had labs done prior to me getting this diagnosis. And I remember my labs, my creatinine levels, which is what they typically look look for to see how your kidneys are function. They were within normal range. And that was just two weeks before, you know, so it it, it showed up like that. Um, then when I was in the hospital, then it had gone up to 3.9. And so it can happen very quickly. And so when I saw the swelling, you know, in my mind, I'm like, well, I'm going to go to work still. I felt okay. But no, <laughs> you know, if you have swelling in your legs, there's fluid in there and you need to get somewhere before that goes to your heart or, or anything like that. And so advocacy is, if I didn't learn anything else from my journey, it was the importance of advocating for myself and the importance of speaking up when I feel like, no, I should and go home as in your mom's case. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause like you said, it happens so fast. Like her creatinine and bun was just, and she was going back and forth to the emergency room, to her nephrologist, the doctors. And like I said, they were, they kept saying they were preparing her for dialysis. I'm like, okay. So, you know, but advocacy is so important. And with us saying that, what do you think are some good or challenging things that you've experienced or others have experienced? Because you've worked with so many others with the healthcare system as far as, I, because we're talking about kidney awareness, the challenges that you've received. Like, you know, like we were saying with my mom, they kept sending her back home. <laughs> like you said, with advocacy, what, what do you think are some things that we need to continue to push for? Yeah. So when it comes to advocacy, sometimes you do have to seek second and third opinions. I always suggest that to people. Like if you're not, if you know something is going on and you're not getting the answers and you've gone back and you've asked questions, you've done your own research and it's nothing's being resolved, you may have to look, in, look into another provider or just going to that person for a second opinion. And so I went to several other doctors, even with my diagnosis, and I read up on it, of course, with Google and WebMed and some of those other, other sites that you can go to for information. But I also went and saw some other doctors. And I, one of them was in New York. I was like, well, I just want answers. So I, I found out that Alonzo Mourning, who also had FSGS, his, I, I, I went to see his doctor. I was like, I want to go see his doctor. Like, I want other opinions so that we can decide on what's best for me. So seeking other opinions. I know health insurance can be an issue sometimes. And so seeking resources for insurance, what they're going to cover, what they're not going to cover is important. And that's an area that I hear people complaining about, depending on your insurance, of of course, because I was in the school system, I had pretty good insurance, but I know that's not the situation for everyone. And so it's important to, to really check with your insurance to see what's allowable, what's not, whether you need to add you know, Medicare, you know, onto that, or, you know, just kind of navigating through that, that can be a challenge. But one of the biggest challenges is being sure that you have the right diagnosis going on. And sometimes that requires going to see multiple doctors. And it's not to say that 
we discount or disrespect the, the medical field. Like you still, we, we respect their expertise, but not every situation is the same. And, and I think, you know, because of how we do medicine here in our country, it's kind of like, well, this is the standard of care. This is what we do with, for everyone. And that doesn't always work. And so it's important to be aware and to ask questions. And if you know within yourself that something still isn't right to maybe go and find a second, second opinion from someone else. And, and I mean, with the internet, it's so easy nowadays to, you can Google nephrologist near me, you know, or nephrologist, and they will pull up a list and you can kind of read some reviews to know, okay, maybe we should check this person out. Maybe they're specialized in glomerul diseases. So in my case, they even have doctors now that are specialized in FSGS so that if I am seeing my, my nephrologist who just generally takes care of people that are all in all walks of health as far as kidney disease, but I want to see someone that's specific to FSGS, I could go in and see that person as well and add them as a part of my care team. And so, and then also not discounting alternative methods. So there were times that I would go to get acupuncture. That was helpful in me just getting some rest at night, because sometimes when you're going through kidney disease, you're, you, you, you experience insomnia or you know, just so many things going on, you can't sleep. And so alternative methods, aqua chi, acupuncture, just exploring some of those things, maybe taking some supplements that won't have as many harmful side effects as some of the regular medications that they provide. And of course, you have those conversations with your doctor, like I'm on several supplements, even today, that help with other areas that are a result of the medication I take for my transplant. So I, you know, but I have that conversation with my doctor, he kind of looks at the ingredients. He's like, okay, it's fine. But they're plant-based supplements that I take to help with, with my, with my health, my overall health. And so it's important to seek out alternative methods. You know, sometimes it may, there may be some other options that work for you. That's great. That's great. And a sneak peek on alternative medication. The last Thursday of this month, we're going to have a special guest coming on to talk about some holistic and alternative medicines or medications or ways of life. And acupuncture is one of them and some other natural things that we can attest from. Mm -hmm. With regards to looking after your health, what type of support did you get from your family? I, I, I can't wait for you to, to share the part of the transplant, but we'll get to that community or social groups. So I'm blessed to come from a tight-knit family. And so the support that they've given me through the journey, of course, my husband, he took me to every doctor's appointment. He was there just as a listening ear whenever I needed to talk or vent, or he saw the whole journey, <laughs> all the frustration, you know, he would take myself and even my sister, when she was getting her workups done, he would take her as well. So I had his support, even with meals coming back and forth from dialysis. By the time I started dialysis, my, my daughter was six years old. So they, my mom and, and, and family members jumped in to help if she needed to be picked up. My mother-in-law, she would pick her up from school and, and, and make sure she had her homework and everything done. And I always tell people, it really does take a village. And sometimes, you know, maybe you're living in the area and you don't have family here. Sometimes you may have to create that village through attending a support group or, you know, just getting some resources from your local community services, community centers. Sometimes you have to create that group, but it really does. It's not something you want to go at alone. 
because it, it can be a very lonely journey anyway. But you know, when you, when you isolate yourself, it makes it even more difficult to endure. And so social groups like support groups, we do have a su- support group that we host. But there are other resources out there that even if it's going out to dance, you know, I mean, or just something, an art class, or you want to take advantage of some of those things, things that you may like to do. There's mall walking programs where you can just go and walk in the mall, you know, so connecting with outside resources to help you mentally, because the mental part is the biggest part in the health journey. Your body follows where your mind is. And so, making sure you keep your mental health. I feel like a lot of times we focus on the physical health, our physical bodies, what we're feeling, the pain and all of that, but sometimes taking care of the mental pieces help with the physical. And so those are some of the supports that I use, my my family, of course, and then connecting with outside organizations. I was still working full-time during my journey, so my, my coworkers were a sense of support. I was very mindful about who I shared my journey with, so there were only a few people that really knew what I was going through. It was so interesting when I was getting ready to have the transplant. They kind of gave me a little something and they had cake and they had gift cards and things and people had no idea that I was going through that. And and it was because I was very, very careful about who I shared what with. Because sometimes, you know, depending on and everyone has their, their you know, their own journeys with their faith and things like that. But I was so focused on what I was believing for that I didn't want anything to distract me. And so the more, sometimes when everybody knows, it's just, (laughs) and everybody has an opinion about what you're going through, that can cloud what you're believing God for. And so I told the people that needed to know, but not everyone knew that I was on dialysis. You know, I I had the uh, the favor um, of God there because the, the assistant superintendent at the time, you know, she told me, you know, just leave and go get your treatment. You know, it's okay. Don't take leave. You don't have to take leave or anything. And so I could leave like an hour and a half early on Tuesdays and Thursdays so I could go to get my treatment. So that was a village. That was a part of my village too, just taking care of the little things like that, of making sure that I could could leave work without having to exhaust all of my leave every Tuesday and Thursday to go for my treatments. And so when I think of support, there's so many areas that that's just step in to help. And and one thing you have to be open to that. If I, some people, and I know some people that are very ashamed of their journey, so they don't share. And so that kind of blocks some of the support. Some of those people may have some answers for you. So just be, it's good to be mindful and prayerful about who you share with, because you never know who may have some, some support systems in place that could help you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I know you said you were, diagnosed and was in the hospital for eight days. And then I know you didn't like realize all this other of the other part of your journey. I know they, you said that God prepared you for it. Did you realize right away after your hospital stay that you would have to go on dialysis? Did they talk to you about dialysis then? Or was it later on that, you know, you discovered that you had to start dialysis? So it was later on, they, we, when I got the diagnosis in 2006, they put me on heavy medicine, heavy dosages of immunosuppressant medicine. And the idea was to suppress my immune system so that my immune system couldn't 
attacked my kidneys and caused further damage. And so steroids, I was on a heavy dose of steroids. I mean, I had a big old face <laughs> and, you know, uh, you know, just, yeah, steroids are, wow. And so I was on 60 milligrams of prednisone coming out of the hospital, as well as Celsep, which is immunosuppressant medication. And I, I was on that for a while. I, I experienced a lot of discomfort with it. So I, they slowly tapered me off. And I would say after about a year or so, because I was, I was losing a lot of weight, I couldn't hold food down. What I found out later on, now I know that I was on the, the dose that they prescribed was too much for my body. <laughs> like, I mean, maybe someone that was 300 pounds, maybe a stronger guy or something could have handled it. But in hindsight, I realized it's because, and they were trying to be aggressive. So I understand why they prescribed it. But in hindsight, I realized it's because it was way too much. I was on like 3000 milligrams of one of the medication and it was just way too much. So they tapered me off of that. I was able to be off of medication for about three years. And then in 2011, my numbers started to creep back up. Creatinine was starting to creep up. My protein was starting, the protein was starting to spill in the urine. Those numbers were going up. And so that's when the, the conversation about dialysis started. And my doctor, he wanted to start me on peritoneal dialysis, which is a dialysis that you do at home. You connect the catheter in your stomach and you connect to a machine, or you can do it manually, like through IV bags. And so I was in denial at that point. You know, I said, I, I'm not going on dialysis. I'm not doing this. And I began to start, I went to see a whole bunch of naturopathic doctors. I was doing aqua chi and just all kinds of stuff, taking I was juicing. I did everything that I could to slow it down and it helped a little bit, but they still, the, the numbers just kept trending up, kept trending up. And he even set up an appointment for me to get the catheter in my stomach because it does take some time for that to heal before you can use it. And then you have to go through the training of how to use it. And he set up an appointment and I didn't show up. <laughs> and, you know, this is where I really begin to experience God in a different way where, where faith is concerned. Because I, my confession was, this is not God's will concerning me. Dialysis is not God's will concerning me. And I ended back, I ended up in a hospital again, because I re began to retain fluid again. And, and by this point, my doctor's like, okay, we've made you these appointments to get the catheter. You've been, you haven't shown up, you, you know, been saying, let me try this, let me try this, but your numbers are still increasing. And so I ended up, I had gone to see another doctor for a second opinion. And he said, well, yeah, you're, you're, you're there. <laughs> you know, you really, he said, you may have a few more weeks, maybe a month, but you really need to be considering this. But when he did my labs, my hemoglobin was so low. It was at, I think like a five. And he was shocked that I, at the day that he called me to tell me my test results, I was in a math training. And he's like, are you, you're at work? Like, how are you even functioning with a hemoglobin this low? And I knew I felt very tired, but I just thought, you know, I know what's going on with my body right now. So I ended up in the hospital. And as a result of that, I got the blood transfusion because, you know, hemoglobin was low. And while I was there, he said, please consider going on dialysis because you're just, your body's not in a good place right now. And I had an encounter with God in the hospital in that moment, because I was disappointed that, you know, here I'm doing everything that I knew possible to prevent this. And I, I feel like I have faith, God, where, where are you? And <laughs> I had an encounter with him and he said, you're being selfish. And he said, you are thinking about Sharon. 
You're thinking about what you're going to have to endure when you go to the dialysis facility, but you're not considering. And he basically told me, Sharon, just because you're going dialysis, it doesn't mean that my word doesn't stand as the final authority. You're still healed, but you're equating going on dialysis with not being healed. And it just really changed my perspective. He said, you know, you don't know who may be sitting in that dialysis facility that may not ever step foot in a church, you know, and if we say that we are the church, then that means be the church. And so really, I mean, (laughs) I can't even describe what I felt and the turning point in my, my journey. It, just being in a hospital that night. I mean, and he really just, he just talked to me just like a friend, like you're, you're really being selfish here. And a lot of times as believers, we're like, God, whatever you want to do, here I am, send me God, I'll go where you tell me to go. I'll say what you want me to say. But what if that means sitting in a dialysis chair on my behalf? Then what, you know? <laughs> so it really changed my perspective on faith and even my my responsibility as a believer, this walk is going to cost you something. And that's, that was my takeaway. And so the next day when the doctors came in, I was so rejuvenated and focused on the journey ahead. Like I get to be his representative and this is what it means to be his representative. He assured me, Sharon, you're already healed. This is just a part of the process. And so, you know, it really changed my perspective. And I think that was a turning point, even in my journey, because I knew that it was bigger than me at that point. So again, it was another part of dying, (laughs) dying to the fact that I was going to be connected to a machine with my blood running in and out of my body. It was a dying to me so that I could sit in proxy for God in that facility and he could use me. Now, if I was concerned with myself going in there, probably wouldn't have been able to be used the way that he was able to use me in that facility to impact the dialysis technicians and other patients that were around me. But I knew that was the turning point, I feel, in the journey to know that this is so much bigger than you. All I need you to do is be the body, be my hands and my feet and my mouthpiece. This is bigger than you. And so when he came in the next day, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do it. If my mind was so focused on, wow, like the revelation that I got in that moment that I get to be a partaker in what he's already done. It just really changed my mindset about my journey. Not to say that it was easy throughout the dialysis journey at all, but I knew what he told me in the hospital. And so he prepared me to be able to sit in that chair, knowing that this is not the end. Like this is not, you're not, you're not going to die from this, but I do need to use you in a big, in a greater way. And part of that meant me decreasing so that he could have room to do the work that he needed to do. And so that's how I got to the dialysis chair. I started dialysis that next week. They hooked me up with the center and day that they put the catheter in, they started dialysis right away. And so they do, they have, if you wait to the last minute like me, or if there's an emergency and maybe you crash into dialysis, they'll start you with a catheter in your chest because that as soon as they do the surgery, they can start doing the dialysis. So that's how I started out. And they connected me with the local center. And I went on Tuesday, Thursdays, and Saturdays for about four hours. Your testimony is absolutely beautiful. And I love what you said about you know, just being an ambassador because my mom struggles about why me, you know, why, why did I have to be the one to have this disease? And, you know, it's, it's hard being 
on the other side, you know, trying to encourage that person to why not you, you know, and she still, she struggles with it. She's at Dallas right now. You and her have same days, Tuesday, Thursday, Mm -hmm. Saturdays, and she's, she's there for four hours. Mm -hmm. Um, And she has her moments of why me? And I'm like, you know, mom, you don't know who God is going to have you come encounter with. And you, you could be that inspiration. She's, she's met several friends. <laughs> it's an, an older lady that her and my mom are, they're very close to one another. The lady is, is much older and she's been on dialysis for 20 some years, but they're an encourager for one another. You know, some days when the sweet lady's not having a good day, my mom is an encourager and vice versa. And I said, mom, you know, we don't know why, but God knows why. And just be open and continue to allow him to use you because he is using you, you know, not only to those, you know, strangers around you, but to us as family, Mm -hmm. you know, to take better, good care of our health and, you know, signs to look out for, for ourselves and children and and grandchildren and things like that. We're talking about the dialysis part. Was there anything else that you would like to share with the audience about your journey with dialysis before we get to the transplant part? (laughs) Um, I would say in addition to what, what you've shared and what I've shared, it is not an easy process. Like I can so relate with your mom and It can be a lonely experience, even though you're sitting in a room with a lot of other people, it can just be a very lonely experience and it can be, it gives you time to really sit and think, you know, and really reflect on your life and it can be very lonely. It can be very lonely. And so that, that's what fuels my work because I think about how I felt sitting there and it really just charges me even more to continue the work, continue to spread awareness, continue to spread hope and, and, and let people know this isn't the end of your story. Like you're, you're there for a reason, you know, and there are times you are going to say, why me? <laughs> you know, I used to say sometimes, God, why do I have to be the test dummy? Like, come on, you know, <laughs> and, and, but what an opportunity as well, because I know because of my experiences, God forbid, if anybody in my family or my friends experience this, I have a wealth of knowledge that I can pour into them. And so it's not for naught that I was in that chair. You know, I mean, God knew he had a greater purpose. It was just about me coming alongside with him to share in what he was doing. Um, And sometimes we get stuck in how we feel that it's hard to do that. You know, it, it, it really is a dying to you. It really is a dying to you. I think about when it was time for him to go on his cross and even he had some, some doubts like, God, wait, wait a minute, let this cup pass from me. Like what is going on here? I don't know about this. And so, but he said, nevertheless, and that's the kind of attitude that we have to have about our journeys, whether it's on dialysis, whether it's on chemo, whatever it is, nevertheless, because it's always something greater that maybe we don't see happening. There are a lot of things that take place in the spiritual realm that we don't know are going on. And so we have to trust that God has already gone and prepared everything for us. He, it's not a surprise that I ended up on dialysis to him. He already knew, you know, so it's about coming along a side of him for a story that was already written before the foundation of the earth. And so just in, as far as dialysis, it's just, you never know. And then I do want to say you have options. So 
there is hemodialysis where you can be in the center. You can also do it at home. And then peritoneal dialysis is done at home as well. And there you could do a manual, what's called manual, where it's kind of like IV, uh, IV bag and you're doing an exchange of pulling the bad fluids out. Well, putting in the good stuff to pull out the bad stuff. Or you can do a continuous peritoneal dialysis where you connect at night to the machine and, and it, the treatment goes on while you're asleep and, and then you connect disconnect throughout the day and, and you're free. So I did transition to doing peritoneal after about a year on, of being on hemo. And so I did peritoneal for about seven months before the transplant. And, and that was better because I was working full time. So I just did it at night while I slept disconnected and I didn't have to worry about it during the day. It's also better for your body because you're doing it every day as opposed to the three times a week. When you go three times a week, it's almost like you're shocking your body each time. And so you just have to do what works best for you. Some people prefer to go to the center. They're like, I don't want all that stuff in my house and trying, I'm nervous about that. So you, you know, some people do it that way. Some people do nocturnal dialysis. There are centers that allow you to come in at night to do your treatment, especially if you're working during the day. So they're different. You do have options. And sometimes those options aren't always given. And so it's important to know that, oh, if if this particular method isn't working, then maybe I can think about doing another method. Thank you for sharing those different methods, because everyone that's listening may not know that, you know, they think that I know they go over it with you and things like that. But yeah, my mom is, she's at a center. My aunt, my father's sister, she was also, she also was diagnosed with chronic kidney disease and she actually opted to do it at home. (laughs) And she, she loves being able to be home in her own environment. And like you said, sometimes having to do the exchange, you know, daily versus going three times a week, it is, it is different to your body. Cause I know my mom, when she comes home from dialysis, she can tell certain days where they pull more fluid off of her. She's extremely tired or just not feeling well. And that's a lot to, you know, to the body in that short period of time. So yeah, thank you so much. I was going to ask Go one, a question to you, Sharon, in the midst of this process as you're going through the dialysis and everything. Mm-hmm. I, I love what you said. It's not just about your body, but it's your mind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How did your diet change mm. as a result of that? Because that's one of the other factors that I know my wife goes through at times when her conversations with, with mom, my mom is that your mind starts to go back to those things that you crave for that you used to eat. How was that process for you and help? What did you do to really transform your mind and really say, I need you to line up with the spirit and line up that we need to adjust our eating habits if we're really going to continue to do God's will and purpose in our call? Right. It was definitely a process. Even things that are healthy that the typical person could eat when you're on dialysis, you can't. And so that was very difficult trying to you know, sort through, okay, can I cook the spinach or can I, you know, it's like certain things depending on whether you cooked it or not, you could have, or did you, did you boil the potatoes down all the way? You know, just all of these things. So it was a process and slowly, but surely it, it also helped my family as well, because, you know, my husband would cook, he had to keep that in mind of what I could, could eat and what I couldn't eat. So one thing that I, try to do things more so in moderation, like some of the things that I did, like, like if I wanted some fries, I made sure that 
throughout the week, I did everything right that I was supposed to do so that I could enjoy the fries because you do feel it when you go for treatment. Like, you know, when you haven't done what you were supposed to, your treat, your treatment is a lot harder. So that helps one with kind of getting your mind right. Like, oh, I'm not doing that again. That cramping was horrible. I'm never doing that again. But it was a slow process of just slowly. So like transitioning from beef to turkey. And so we started making, like, if we were going to have spaghetti or, or, or something like that, just, you know, switching to turkey instead. And so then after a while, that became an acquired taste that when I had the beef, I was like, oh, it's not the same, you know? So then we slowly transitioned to that, eating white meat instead of dark meat just for, the, for chicken. So making minor adjustments that were a little bit more palatable than just cold turkey saying, okay, I'm not doing this. Um, and... I would say to like not cutting everything out. Sometimes when we want to go on a diet or even for the Reno diet, it's kind of like, well, you can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do it. And it's a whole bunch of can'ts. And it, then you just feel defeated. Like I'll never be able to do that. And so for me, the mind shift was you can still enjoy some of the things that you liked, just not to the same degree, which you shouldn't be doing anyway. You shouldn't be doing fries in excess anyway. And so I did have to be prayerful in that. Like God helped me change my taste buds because I really like this. I really want this. But it started with just slow changes. Like, you know, once a month, treat yourself to fries. But the rest of the time, you know, you're going to get something else. You're going to eat some carrots or, to you know, something to that degree. So it was a process. But your mind does, your body does start to come in alignment with your mind once you set your mind to it, but you just have to continue to do it. So once, once we switched over to turkey, we continued using turkey. And so then that became the only thing I really wanted because that's what my body had gotten used to. And so when you talk about the mind and the body, it really is making that decision that I'm going to at least try it. You know, at least try it because sometimes we won't even try it. It's like, no, this is what I like. This is what I want to eat. So that's all I'm eating. But when you try it and you switch things up and you continue doing it, just continue practicing it like with any habit, it then becomes. And so now I eat beef every now and again because I know sometimes I can tell in my levels when I need a, a good piece of lean meat. But now I don't have a craving for it because I don't do it regularly. And so it, it starts small. I always tell people, start small. Don't look at this big picture of, I can't do this. I can't do this. Start with something small. And even if that means if you're, say you're a soda drinker and you drink sodas every day. So maybe you start by doing, instead of five days a week, we start with doing three days. And then, you know, you just kind of go from there. It's easier to do a slow and gradual transition than just cold turkey. Some people can do cold turkey. I, I've seen that done, but I've, for the for most people, just some gradual things, replacing something. When they, when you get diagnosed, they automatically tell you, you can't do this. You can't eat this. Take this out of your diet. And it, that's very overwhelming. Like that's the, especially if, if you've spent the last 50 or 60 years of your life eating that way. Like, and so I always just say, start small. What, are, what, like, what is something that's going to cause your potassium to be very high that you did before that you're doing now? And let's start with something like that, that would really have a tremendous impact on your health and, and impact your health negatively. Great. And I would say have that, have those conversations with the dietitian nutritionist that's there at, if you, if you're going to an actual center, I know where my mom goes, they have one right there on site, it goes back to that support, you know, utilize the, the people that are there 
that have the knowledge, the doctors, the nephrologists, the director, I would say the dietitian, nutritionist, you know, if you, you get stumped, because I think that's what happens a lot of times worse. Like you said, we're 50, 60, 70 years old and been eating a certain way all of our lives. And then boom, all of a sudden you have to make these changes. It, it can be, it can be rocky. It can mm. be rough. Yes. And having accountability. So like, I know you all are probably accountability for your mom. And in my case, my, you know, if someone was making something like, wait, can you have this? <laughs> you know, So having that accountability system in place is good as well, just to help keep you on track and to make you think, think twice about, about what you're eating. And so we're going to reset the room one more time as we're we're coming down uh, that closing of this. But there's one important topic. We're, we're talking to Sharon and we're talking about this is National Kidney Disease Awareness Month. And we're just trying to educate people that your, your temple, you know, we God gave us this temple to take care of and maintain to do the calling, the purpose that he has placed before us. And one of the things that we mentioned in those numbers was that there's a hundred thousand people on a kidney transplant list. Yes. And so going into that, tell us about that journey. And then what advice would you give to those who have undergone a transplant? Mm-hmm. So our transplant journey, <laughs> it was a roller coaster ride. We my sister got tested and she was a match. And so we we were looking forward to our surgery. And the week before, two weeks before our surgery, I ended up developing shingles. So my surgery is supposed to be November of 2012. And I was thinking, great, you know, I've only been on dialysis for a few months because I started in June and here I get shingles (laughs) two weeks before the surgery. So it had to be canceled. And then at one point, my sister's hemoglobin levels, which have always been borderline, they begin to question her levels. And One thing I will say, if you decide to be tested to be a kidney donor, you will know anything that is wrong with you because they do a battery of tests to make sure that you're a candidate for it because they want to make sure they're preserving your life as well. And if you're not in a position to give, then you'll know because they do every test you can think of. You go through psychological evaluations as well. So you meet with a psychiatrist just to make sure that mentally you're not being coerced to do this and that this is something you really want to do. Even when we would go, they said, you'd be surprised. People have changed their mind the day of being wheeled back to the operating room to give their kidney and they changed their mind. And so it can be an emotional roller coaster. And for us, you know, I was excited about that first date. And then we ended up setting a second date. And two weeks before that surgery, the board decided not to let us go forward with the surgery. We were devastated. We were just like, why would, you know, why would you have us come this far to gen? But they were very adamant about protecting my sister's health, which is very understandable. And so she ended up getting iron infusions. Long story short, she ended up getting two bone marrow biopsies to prove that there was nothing going on with her blood. As you know, those are uh, bone marrow biopsies is one of the most painful biopsies that you can get. But in her mind, she was determined that she wanted to be my donor. And she has her story too that, you know, is very powerful about how she even came to that realization. So we ended up having our surgery on the fifth date that they had given us. And so by then it was about a year and uh, almost two years of me being on dialysis before we actually got to the operating table. And so when it comes to being evaluated for transplants, it's important to know that you can list on multiple at multiple multiple hospitals. So you can you can be listed in three or four or five hospitals if you want to, to, to increase your chances if you are on a waiting list. 
living donation, of course, is the best option because the time it will shrink the time for you if you have someone that's willing to come forward to get tested. The donor goes through a battery of tests. Like I said, if you have anything wrong with you, you'll know through all the tests that they give you, which is what can be, which can be good. I have a friend that did that and she realized that she had some things going on with her hemoglobin. She came forward to be a kidney donor to someone and through all of the tests that she had done, she found out some things that were going on in her body that she had to, had to address. And had she not done that, she probably wouldn't have paid attention to it. And so we, we had our surgery on December 2nd of 2013. It was a success. God was there. We were a perfect match. So there's six antigens that they, um, they do what's called tissue matching to see how well and how compatible the kidneys are. And all six of our uh, antigens matched up. So that was a blessing in itself. Um, people in the hospital were so excited, like, you're the sisters with the perfect match. Like, that's so great. And, and so, but I knew that was only God only God could orchestrate our journey the way that he did. And so for those that are living with a transplant and those that are on your way to a transplant, my biggest advice was to keep, would be to keep going. There may be some no's that you get in the process. And we didn't stop with the first no. We could have, and I could have probably still been on dialysis with being an O positive blood type. For someone that's O positive, you have a longer wait because you can only receive from an O. Whereas though, you know, we're a universal donor, but we're not a universal recipient. And so for those that are waiting, you know, don't stop at the first no. You, you may have to, you may have to go somewhere else or, and different hospitals have different levels and limitations. And so I've know some hospitals may say a person is overweight where they may go to another one and they're like, no, you're fine. So don't stop at the no. If you're living with a transplant, um, take care of yourself take care of yourself, be mindful and aware of how you feel. And if you feel that something is off, there are a lot of tests out there that you can get to check your kidney functions and to see where your kidneys are, to be sure that you can catch, catch it before you go into rejection. And so their Care DX, they have a, what they call a, a test, it's called Alishore. And, it, and it's a test that you can do before you go to the biopsy. Because sometimes a lot of times hospitals want to go right to the biopsy to see if you're having a rejection. But there are other tests out there now, thank God for research and innovations that are out there that you can do to see where your kidney function is. And there are therapies too that you can take to slow the rejection down. What a ball full of wisdom and knowledge, Sharon. I mean, we can go on and on and on. I know we're going to have to have you come back on and probably bring your sister too, but I still have have some more questions I want to ask through this journey. I mean, your, your journey of ups and downs and highs and lows and, you know, your faith level and just God being there every step of the way holding your hand, going through it. Can you tell us about your nonprofit organization that you have successfully started? Sure. Uh, Kindness for Kidneys is is God's vision, really. And I remind them of it daily, like, this is your vision, God. What are we doing here? Okay. But no, uh, I, I, like I said, I would sit in the dialysis chair and just look around me and 
I, I knew there was something that I was supposed to do. I, I just knew that there's no way, God, that you'd have me in the situation and I get my transplant and I just go on with life and not turn around and, and reach back for those that are going to come behind me and go through this. And so that's how Kindness for Kidneys was born in December on December 2nd, 2018, which was the five-year anniversary of our kidney transplant, we launched Kindness for Kidneys. And our goals are to educate Education is huge. It's something that if, you know, again, we perish for lack of knowledge. And so it's so important to be educated about what you're going through. If you have family history, it, all of that is so important. Encouragement, as we've talked about, it's so depression, your mindset, all of that comes into play when you get this diagnosis. And so we want to be able to provide encouragement to those that are dealing with kidney disease and then empowerment empowering you to be your biggest advocate, giving you the information and the tools that you need to be a participant in your healthcare. It's vital that you participate in your own rescue. And so it's not left up to someone else to come along and make you know, something happened, you, you have to be a participant in your rescue. And so those are our three E's, our three tenets of, of everything that we do center around that. And so we provide support groups. We started and, and I, thank, I, I thank God that your family was able to come to our very first meeting, March 8th, 2020. And then as we know, everything shut down the very next week. So we've transitioned to doing things virtually. We have uh, support groups the second Sunday of every month at 3.30 on, on Zoom. And it's just a good time to come together, to learn information, to encourage each other and to go out and, and help other people. We also provide Christmas packages in the summer. The last two years we've had to do meals just because of COVID, but we're hoping to get back to doing some of the packages and actually being able to lay our eyes on warriors as they're coming in and out around Christmas. For me, Christmas hit a lot differently when I was sitting in a dialysis chair, even just different holidays, period, because you don't know how you're going to feel. I feel like because you're already reflecting during that time, most people reflect during the holiday time because you're more, you're still and you're, you're more relaxed. And so that's a time where you really go inside and you think of your life and where you are and, and just all of those things. And so it was important to me to give back during the holiday time, because I know that can be a difficult time for so many people. We do host informal kidney conversations with families. So if it's a family, maybe the, their loved one is newly diagnosed and they just want to learn more and maybe hear from my sister and I story we share with them about organ donation, about dialysis, about what to expect with their loved one. I always tell people you go through a grieving process when you're diagnosed with kidney disease. And I would even venture to say that could be for anything where you have to come to eventually come to a place of acceptance. But many people are like, they don't want to talk. They don't want to do this. They're just, well, they're in the denial stage at that point. And so just giving even the caregivers that encouragement that, you know, don't give up on them keep just be up just be there to be a listening ear when they're ready to talk when they're ready to be a part of this journey stand in the gap for them we have some people that come to our support group meetings who their loved one we've never even met but they're standing in the gap for their loved one and they're getting the information they need as a caregiver and so it's about you know just it to me it's about empowering the village not just the warrior because many times the village has it harder than the warrior. And so we have to empower the village so that they can hold the arms up of the warrior as they walk through the journey. We have some other things that are on the horizon that we're very excited about around education that we're working on and I think will be very beneficial to, to people that are 
currently on dialysis or getting ready to start dialysis. And so I'm hoping to be able to share that the next time that I come back. Really have, I really believe that this is going to impact this space in a, in a great way because of just how we're packages, packaging it and the downloads that God has given me about it. I really believe that it's going to change the narrative, especially in our community, in our African-American community. And so, so yeah, that's where we are right now. We're three years in and glory to God for all of it. You know, I like God just this is your vision. I honestly didn't think that it would move as quickly as it has, but I'm grateful that I get to to be a part of it. And so I know God is going to use it. I, I always say that I feel like kindness for kidneys is, is a decoy. Everything that we do and our desire, the people on our board is to point people back to Christ. And this allows us to reach a large amount of people that maybe wouldn't encounter Christ in other ways. And I'm not saying everyone does. There are a lot of believers that have kidney disease, but kindness for kidneys is the catalyst to get us to the heart of people and to share the love of. So anytime we do anything, whether like the meals, we're praying for the driver that's bringing the meals. We're praying for the people that are packaging the meals. Like any, this would be a special project for anyone that touches it and that they would feel the tangible love of God. They may not be able to explain it, but because we pr- prayed and declared it, that anyone that's involved in this in any capacity, whether it's the center, whether it's the patient, that when they're touching these meals, it's bigger than just a meal. It's, it's that they would experience a, a change on the inside. And so I always say that the kindness for kidneys is, a, is the, really the decoy, but it's really about sharing the love and being a light in the community. Wow. Yes. I will say I'm trying not to tear up again, (laughs) but I will say, I know for a fact what you're saying, we can attest to that because like you said, it's not about the meals or the lotions, but I know when my mom received those gifts, it it lights her up. Her, her spirit just is uplifted. It's, Mm -hmm. it's a change. And I know it's, it's more than just the tangible, but like you said, it's what's behind it the prayer, those that, you know, you all are praying for that driver or the recipient or whatever the case may be. And I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm trying not to tear up. Is there anything that you would like in in closing, anything that you would like to share with our podcast listeners, you know, you feel led in your, your spirit or your heart as we end today? First, I want to thank you all for this platform. I believe that this platform is bigger than than probably the both of you imagine it to be. And so I'm grateful for this opportunity to be able to participate in platform. And I, I just pray, pray an extra special blessing on your work because um, it's so important right now in the day that we're living in. For those that are listening, I just want to encourage you to walk out what God has placed on your heart to do. There's some dreams and visions that are on the inside that have yet to be tapped into. And so this is the hour to do it. This is the time that God is calling us to uncharted territory. And so it's so important that we do it now. I just, I just sense that there's some, some dreams and visions that are on the hearts of people that could literally change so many different circles of influence that this is the time to step out and do the things that God is laying on your heart. We can no longer be bound to this world system. 
in order to survive in the days that are coming, we have to live from the kingdom of heaven. And so if I can leave you with anything, it's God is making us very uncomfortable in certain places because it's time for us to step out into what he's calling us to do. And it's paramount in the days that are coming and the things that he's going to do in the days that are coming. And so I would leave that as my final word is that it's time. It's so time to, I mean, do those unimaginable things that you you know it's in your heart to do, but you just haven't put put feet to the ground to do it. It is time to do it. There's some there's shifts taking place in the atmosphere, and God is setting things up for the end times. Not saying that we're living in the end time, like we're like it's going to end tomorrow, but we we are we're inching closer. And I think He's divinely orchestrating and creating communities like yours that you have here. He's strategically creating communities for us to usher in His presence. And so it's time to step out. It's time, if I don't leave anything else, whatever it is that God is laying on your heart to do, do it, do it. That's a prophetic word that you mm-hmm. just gave. Yes, it is. Definitely a prophetic word. Because <laughs> yes, I was, I was going to say, Jerron, just pray us out. But that, that was it. Mm-hmm. That was, that was it. That was the prayer. That was the prophetic word right there. Wow. Wow. Praise God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just, Thanks, God. I, we, we can't. We can't thank you enough for, you know, the wisdom and just your spirit and just everything on this platform today. I just feel the the spirit of God just hovering here. And I know he's hovering at your home and I know he's hovering to those that are listening, whether they're commuting or just at home, you know, listening to us. And we can't thank you and, and bless God enough for you for sharing your testimony, your journey. I know it's going to bless so many others just as it has blessed us. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. And what's the website for anybody Mm -hmm. who wants to connect with you and your organization to find out more information or even help out donations donations or anything like that. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It's kindness for kidneys. So K I N D N E S S F O R and then kidneys K I D N E Y S dot org. So www.kindnessforkidneys.org. And then kindness for kidneys on all social media platforms as well. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I think that prophetic word was our prayer and our closing Mm -hmm. and everything. Mm -hmm. Don't forget, you can always continue to check in. Think about the Thursdays. Every Thursdays, we'll bring some special guests and let, and we're focusing this month on taking care of the temple, which is our temple that God has given us. And so we look forward to listening to us, us next week <laughs> and the future weeks to come. And may God bless you. May God keep you. May his face shine upon you. Let his grace just continue to love yes. over you unconditionally. Yes. Continue to do the great works and do God's will. Until next time we meet, peace and blessings to all of you. Amen. Joining us on Stronger Together, Closer to God podcast. Please continue to join us weekly as we share godly wisdom and advice to you. If you have any prayer requests or would like to sign up for a free 30-minute consultation with us, drop us a line at s2c2gpodcast at gmail.com. And if you like what you're hearing, feel free to partner with us by clicking on the Partners tab on the website. The more you give, the more we can spread the word and help us to reach our vision of bringing one million married couples stronger together, closer to God. Feel free to check us out on our website at s2c2gministry.com. Until next time, peace and blessings to all of you.